Lifetime, the official athletic country club of the Minnesota Vikings, has something for every member of your family. Get your family going today at lifetime.life forward slash kids. You know, I, I do think that with every competitive game, everybody's looking to find an edge. Is it truly legal? Or are they just like stretching a rule? Or are they finding a loophole? I feel like that's always been a part of it. And I, and I kind of hope to see it. I think that's going to lead to a lot more chaos. It's going to be uh, a lot more a lot more of the returners having a hard time picking up these scripts because you see it all the time. Like, these guys can't pick up this hot potato. Yo, yo, welcome to the Minnesota Vikings podcast, Vikings offseason edition of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. My name is Gabe Henderson. I'm alongside Jay Nelson. Tatum Everett and Eric Davidson are out today. So, Jay, we will have some fun and talk all things Vikings offseason, starting with the NFL owners meetings. Part two is in Minneapolis right now as we speak. And as I'm speaking, there have been four game changing rules that have been passed. One. Owners have approved the emergency third quarterback proposal. Yeah. Which means if a quarterback is on the 53-man roster, they can be the emergency quarterback in case the first two quarterbacks go down. This is kind of like the Brock Purdy type yeah, thing last sure. year when he went down in the NFC Championship. And that that was very interesting to me because it, it passed so quick. For sure. I, I That was one of those to me I've always felt like it was kind of a no-brainer and I was always kind of curious as to – why there was an issue. I mean, think about how incredibly important a quarterback play is. And I know they can basically say, well, if it's that important to you, hold that roster spot. But as as you go from a 53-man roster down to, what, 46 on game day, they even reduce it on game day, how many people are actually dressed and able mm-hmm. to play. Um, it's always been kind of weird to me that, you know, quarterback is the one position that you wouldn't want to have the ability to grab somebody in an emergency. I mean, if your first two quarterbacks go down, that third quarterback standing on the sidelines or in street clothes yeah. does nothing for you. So yeah. it always felt weird to me that that wasn't already in place. And it, it reminds me of kind of like the uh, NHL has the e-bug rule, mm-hmm. which is the emergency backup goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit different where it's, you know, somebody that in-house for the home team, they have to have some sort of a, a person. They can be a trainer. They can be club level yep. type player. But somebody in house that if there is a huge emergency, nine times out of ten they're just, or even more than that, they're just sitting on the bench dressed in case something happens. Yep. But in four instances, actually in the NHL, those people have actually got to play, which mm-hmm. has got to be crazy. But for me, this rule just it it makes complete sense in that at minimum you have a quarterback instead of you know trying to think about what the Niners right. did last year going Christian Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey being our quarterback in, in an NFC championship game so it just makes sense to me I, I get it and that I think it takes a lot of pressure off of you know some rookie quarterbacks I'm just thinking of when I saw the article yesterday uh, on, e- on ESPN the first picture that popped up was Malik Willis from the Tennessee uh, Titans yeah so you know uh, Ryan Tannehill is the starting quarterback Will Levis was the uh, second round quarterback that was drafted uh, but literally less than a month ago, and now Malik Willis, who is arguably the third-string quarterback, now he's kind of securing his job Sure, simply because of this rule change. So uh, when you move over to the Viking side of the ball, you got Kirk Cousins, um, Nick Mullins, and now Jar- Jaron Hall. However, with this rule, you look at it and say, okay, well, Jaron Hall is on the practice squad. He still can't be elevated to a third-string quarterback on game day, so he has to be activated on the active fifty-three-man roster in order to be an emergency quarterback on game day. And then there's also a bunch of rules that come in as far as salary and everything else yep. that comes up with that. So yeah, it is going to be a bit of a thing because there is always kind of that 
cat and mouse shell game that that teams will play where they're elevating people on Saturdays yeah. and demoting them on Mondays and just trying to figure out you know what those rosters are going to be. I do think that the interesting caveat here is that it has to be the active 53. Yeah. And you can only do, as of now with the rules, so many moves in order to, you know, let, elevate a guy and bring him back, elevate him and bring him back until you either have to, you know, make it permanent or, or there's another whole other realm of things that have to happen as far as, you know, releasing them or making yeah. them available. But this is a huge deal. And, and I just, if the NFL, as they typically are, are so engrossed in making sure they have the best product possible, it just makes sense to me that you would make this a rule at this point. Yeah, I know. Uh, just moving on to the next topic, we we talked about this right when the schedule released. That Cincinnati Bengals game, I believe it is week later in the year, week fifteen or week sixteen. That game is still TBD, and it's TBD because the NFL was trying to figure out if they were going to have let teams have two Thursday night games. Now, I'm not saying that you know that Cincinnati Bengals game would be a Thursday night game, but now the NFL owners have approved. A modified proposal for flexing Thursday night football games. So a maximum of, of two flexes per year, but teams have to have a 28-day notice. So you pretty much got a month notice in advance yeah. to to know if your week 13 to week 17 game will be flexed to a Thursday night football game. I know that there were other people, there were certain owners as well, including uh, Davis out at the Raiders, mm-hmm. who were kind of criticizing this, saying, you know, the idea of somebody – um, you know, scheduling their life around it and buying tickets early and everything, and then all of a sudden it gets it gets changed on a on a month notice, mm-hmm. and the headaches that can come from that kind of stuff. Like I understand that. I think this is again trying to make sure that there is premium product as far as the showcase game on a Thursday night. Um, I know that that whole thing can kind of throw everyone's schedules into chaos. Mm-hmm. I was more curious about what the time frame was for notice. If it was two weeks notice that some people had discussed oh, way back when, which that just seemed like it would be a huge headache. A month is a little bit easier to palate, but I just think what they're they're looking at here is saying if we're trying to guesstimate as far as what games might be attractive to people for a Thursday night and then you get into week five, six, seven, and all of a sudden you start to realize there's some primo matchups there during weeks 13 through 17, those are the games that are most likely going to get flexed. Um, to me, the idea of this is, again, trying to do best product possible, but um, there is, I think, probably a little bit of a headache, and I think some teams are probably going to be yeah. crossing their fingers hoping they're not going to be the one that <laughs> has to make that switch, but it is going to be interesting to see who who does get that because think of there's a ton of teams, including ours, who have a bunch of primetime games already, yeah. and now you're talking about possibly adding another Thursday night game to that. So we'll, And the other thing that, that, I, that I thought was really interesting about this, too, is that I believe they approve this for one year, and yep. then they have to re-vote on it next year. So this isn't a permanent thing moving forward, but it could be. Yeah. Um, they're just going to kind of see what happens this year and then make a decision for next year. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I mean, of course, football fans, your, your traditional football fans like us who's been around the game for so long, you're just like, man, th- this is this just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you, you, you we see the fan viewership increase of course the game is going more to on demand versus hey let's watch it now or let's watch it on your your typical abcs or fox now you can watch it on your favorite app of course nfl sunday ticket is on youtube tv so we're starting to see a shift in the way the nfl is starting to view how its fans view their games and i guess just trying to stay young 
I think the idea with that too, though, is that forever it was whether it was satellite companies or cable companies, those were the meat and potatoes of what everyone had access to. There's been a lot of people that have been shifting to kind of the new new world of uh, cord cutting and, and doing that. I think you know the Peacock thing at first with the playoff game, it kind of scratched my head a little bit, and then realized, oh, NBC product. So you know, if NBC's already got the infrastructure to to do their their uh, televised games. It'll make sense to do it on a Peacock. Um, you know, again, this will be interesting to see with this experiment just what the viewership is or what, you know, NBC sees as a increase in Peacock subscriptions because of just wanting to watch that game. I do know that if uh, local markets with whatever that playoff game is going to be on Peacock will still have access to it. Yep. But the rest of you know the country and the rest of the world are going to have to find an alternate way to see that game. So it's going to be something that's going to be we're in the new era of, of media. It's crazy. And, um, you know, when you start seeing things specialized, I remember even when it was NFL Network the very first time when you saw games on NFL Network exclusive. There are a lot of people saying, you know, I don't have access to that. And now right. I think the idea is that you have access to whatever you are willing to invest in and, and, and put your time into and even just download as an app and do a free trial. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see at least the NFL is embracing this new idea of what yeah. the future is going to be versus kind of sticking with the ways that they were. And um, we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, I remember just, you know, growing up in North Carolina, the only games that you would see on TV on Sundays were Cowboys games. Sure. And if the Cowboys weren't playing, maybe the it was national a national game. Exactly. It was it was a national game. So to see how I'm, I know I'm kind of aging myself here, but to see how the game has changed from then into now where you can literally watch any game that you want on YouTube TV with NFL Sunday ticket to a playoff game being streamed on Peacock, which is which is an NBC affiliate. Uh, I, I just love the change. But um a lot of change has been happening when it comes to the the kickoff and pun and special teams rule. And um, that rule was approved today by NFL owners. So the owners approved the resolution. So I'm speaking, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, and it got approved on Tuesday, May 23rd, that NFL owners approved the resolution putting the ball on the 25-yard line following a fair catch on a kickoff. Special teams coordinators, Matt Daniels, Viking special teams coordinators is one. They unanimous, unanimously opposed the change, but it's happening, Jeff. Yeah, I I understand why they would oppose that. You know, for them, that is a critical part of the game. That is the time that they get to shine. And I think teams are really going to have to figure out whether it's their analytics or whatever. If you have somebody who is potentially a home run hitter, are you willing to take the gamble yeah. of consistently losing, you know, what, between five and ten yards per kickoff mm -hmm. versus the chance of possibly um, you know, exceeding the 25 yard line. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are just going to say no chance of a turnover, no chance of, of any of, you know, losing yardage. We're actually going to net uh, five to seven yards every time we do a kickoff if we just, you know, take the fair catch. I think there's going to be a lot of people are going to do that. I, I think the other thing that that's kind of interesting, though, on it, too, is that's fair catch on a kickoff. Right. So before the idea was you're just kicking it out the back of the end zone and yeah. then just letting them get there. Again, I'm so curious. If you fair catch it on the five yard line, exactly. automatically get moves up twenty yards. Yeah, so Just, that that's it. There's gonna be there's gonna be some weird ramifications I think that come from this. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't I don't fault these special teams coordinators and everybody from from feeling this way, but at the same point, it will be interesting to see this season how that affects the games and the decisions that the coaching team coaching yeah. staffs make. Yeah, NFL executive uh, Jeff Miller he uh, cited the concussion rates on kickoffs and punt returns uh, to other plays and said uh, with this new model. The return rate, so a punt return and kick return rate will drop down from 38% to 31%, but the concussion rate will drop down to 15%. So 
Granted, you know, concussions had its highest return last year in over nine years. So the, the NFL is trying to, to mitigate that while also keeping the game interesting. I, I'll never forget this, Jay, just talking to um, uh, Matt Daniels this offseason. And we talked about, would you be opposed to the NFL um, getting rid of the the fair catch or, you know, the nil, the nil rate? And he said, absolutely, because he said, you know, Fans get so excited for week one. Everybody's in their seats cheering like, man, football season is back. And then, boom, kickoff, fair catch. And it's like just this little lull in the game. And rightfully so, it's coming from a special teams coordinator. He wants to see big plays. But that is another aspect of the game that you have to weigh in as far as the excitement of the game and keeping fans in tune if you just get rid of the the kickoff and fair catch. I mean, kickoff and punt return. Yeah, and I think with this kind of stuff, if you think about it, you know, the league has really cited safety as something that they've been willing to explore. Yep. There's already been a ton of, of rule changes. I mean, for you know, think about the fact that you have something that used to be just commonplace even when I was playing wedge busting and all that kind of <laughs> stuff on those, those kickoffs. That kind of stuff, you know, is out the window at this point. And now, yep. again, I think the league is trying to stay on top of it and trying to find ways – to help guys and, and reduce the amount of injuries that way. There's a certain amount of risk that comes into playing football in the first place. But if they're willing to give this kind of stuff a, a try and if it seems to work out, I think they'll stick with it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, it just shows they're willing to modify it and try on an annual basis to find other yeah. ways to make the game better, not only for the fans, but for, for the players themselves. Yeah, I understand that. And I, think, I feel like the excitement is starting to build around the NFC North. Uh, simply because uh, we knew at last owners' meetings that the Detroit Lions were hosting the 2024 NFL Draft. Well, however, it just got approved earlier this week that the Green Bay Packers are hosting the 2025 NFL Draft. It, it makes sense for the Vikings to host 2026. Of course, that hasn't been confirmed. But when you hear of the, the NFL Draft coming to the frozen tundra, what what does that mean to you? being a fan of the NFC North for so long? Uh, one, we're finally getting our due and that people are recognizing that the NFC North is is a, a fun place to be. But I got to say this, if you're somebody who does cover the NFL draft on an annual basis, the idea that uh, you're going to be in Detroit in 2024 and then Green Bay after that, yeah. there's going to be a lot of questions going on <laughs> and like, what's that weather going to look like? You know, I think being in Vegas and other places like Kansas City or, T- or Nashville, um, that kind of those kind of places, the warm weather and stuff, it's just a lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. It did show in Kansas City. It wasn't necessarily the warmest at the time, but at the same point, there was just hundreds of thousands of people that showed up for that weekend. So I think the idea of being in Green Bay, I mean, Green Bay is somebody that's been lobbying to try to get a Super Bowl right. or something along these lines. They'll never get that. It, but the thing that, you know, I literally the very first thing that I saw listed by somebody who covers the NFL is, I'm very curious to see where they're going to put everybody for for the draft weekend. So it's going to be – and maybe this is a thing for Green Bay. This is kind of a, a test bed for them to show, like, yeah. with all the hotel rooms and all of the logistics and everything else that's got to go on, that they can handle something on this level, almost on a mini level from a Super Bowl. But I will be curious to see just kind of what those preparations are. Detroit's a larger city. They can handle mm-hmm. it. They have a ton of the hotel space and convention space. Green Bay is is not a small city, but it has had issues in the past. And I know like Super Bowls in the past, for ours, I believe there was a requirement of over 30,000 hotel rooms that had to be uh, held. I do not see that being that way for the draft, but it's a lot. And I will be curious to see how Green Bay and the surrounding community supports an event like this, but I'm sure they got to be very excited. Yeah, very excited. I mean, it is title town. You have all the history there. And granted, if it's End of April, it's a little bit milder weather or a little bit more comfortable weather for for fans that are coming up from Florida or, or California. It's just when you start talking Super Bowl, it's like, tell me how that makes sense to be 
uh, de- a deemable place for an actual Super Bowl in February. Um, I mean, Minnesota is cold itself. I mean, Green Bay is cold in December. We saw with our stuff just how cold it was, and that was an indoor stadium. So that's the whole thing. You know, Football Americana there at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The idea of it is amazing. I think the idea of what the Super Bowl has turned into with all of the other concerts and all of the dignitaries and everybody else coming in in the primo seats, like that idea there with with Green Bay, I think it's harder to stomach for a lot of people the idea of a cold weather Super Bowl outdoors, Mm -hmm. but it is a unique thing and they're always looking for unique experiences. So I wouldn't say it's never going to happen, but I think that the odds are against them and this is going to be something that they would probably be able to, you know, put their best foot forward and just show that they can handle something on that level and they can start having bigger negotiations about doing something like that in the future. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it makes for good good talking points. And while owners meetings are, are still happening here in the Twin Cities, I'm sure there'll be more news, more things coming up um, between now and when we're recording the podcast next week. Well, I'm sure we will have more updates um, on Vikings.com as owners meetings still are taking place here in the Twin Cities. But uh, we move from one thing to another. Our friend, Mr. Ben Lieber, is on the line. And Ben, uh, we were just talking about just some of the role changes and everything that's taking place uh, that's being approved from the owners' meetings right now. And one thing that really stood out to me that I want to get your thoughts on is um, the third quarterback, I guess the emergency third quarterback proposal that has now been approved by the NFL owners. What, what were your thoughts on that? You know, I actually think it makes it makes sense. You know, I, I know that there's probably ways that, you know, like uh, Bill Belichick is going to sort of manipulate what the, the third quarterback is going to be. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it'll be – It'll be interesting if there is another sort of, you know, Taysom Hill type quarterback situation that, you know, you could use maybe in a in a different capacity. And I don't know. look. I don't know the creative ways that it's going to get manipulated, but somehow, some way, it will. It'll be an issue. But for the most part, I'm. I think it's a good uh, for for the competitive spirit of the game. You know, nobody wants to be in a situation like everybody talks about with the 49ers last year. And then it's like, it's just, it's a terrible game. It's terrible for the fans. Um, You know, have some sort of ability to actually have a quarterback in that situation, you know, do a little bit, something more and and make it more fun. So I'm, I'm totally on board with, um, you know, this kind of emergency use third quarterback. Are you a little surprised that it hadn't happened prior to this, just knowing that, you know, kind of the shell game at times that teams play with their rosters on game day and activations, deactivations, et cetera. This always felt like one to me that you were kind of flirting with disaster for a lot of years, just in case some sort of, you know, multiple injuries happened in the game. Yeah. I mean, that that's always a part of it. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, with, with every competitive game, there's everybody's looking to find an edge, you know, whether that is, you know, is it legally, is it, is it truly legal? Or are they just like, stretching a rule or they finding a loophole um i feel like that's always been a part of it and you know i think that's why it's important to have these competition committee meetings where you know things uh, you know come up things arise and is it really a problem is it something that has to be addressed i think just having awareness in these situations that like okay we we know that this goes on now is it is it something that we need to actually enforce with rules or we enforce with different regulations or different rules um that's what can be discussed and so you know, same sort of thing with, with all of this is I'm glad they addressed it. It's discussed. Now we're going to sit back and see how it's implemented and see, you know, what else can come from it. I mean, it seems like to me like a good deal, but, you know, in the end, 
it may prove to be um, another loophole or another another way someone, some team can take advantage of another. Yeah, you made a good point there. I can see Bill Belichick, the Bill Belichicks of the world, trying to manipulate it. Or yeah, that Taysom Hill comparison, like that. That's the perfect way to try to manipulate this third emergency quarterback type rule, but also get an extra guy um, on that forty-six man roster on game day. But Ben, just just understanding that you played linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings, but you also played special teams. When when you look at just the NFL owners approving putting the ball on the 25-yard line following a fair catch on kickoff, what feelings arise for you? You know, I I know that we're talking about player safety and all yeah. this other stuff, and the NFL is going to have – they're going to have metrics and these um, these numbers to back up everything that they're doing. But, you know, I I personally don't agree with it. I, I think that you are taking the livelihood away from guys that, you know, maybe aren't going to be starters and maybe they're not going to be – even a second in the rotation, but they have a spot. You know, they found a way on an NFL roster, um, and and it's because of special teams. And I think this this castration of special teams is gonna it's gonna hurt a lot of guys' livelihoods, and it's gonna hurt their jobs. And um, I think that there's gonna be more manipulation now with player rosters when we talk about roster manipulation with the the type of guys that you want on your team now. Because no longer do you really do you really have to value a guy that's just going to go out there and you know you know run run a hundred miles an hour and and throw his body around and be an asset on special teams now now that's really not the case and so um, look the the game is the game is brutal the game is tough it's physical and and we're sort of um, we're taking that element of football out of it and and I do think long term. I think this game, you know, keeps suffering from from the rule changes that we keep making in the name of player safety. I think a guy like Kane Wangwu, who has you know been a home run hitter for us, is going to look at something like this. We, we were talking a little bit earlier, just the idea of coaches having to make a decision: Do you want to take the gamble of you know possibly losing yardage if you don't fair catch versus letting home run hitters you know take a swing and see what they can do? Do you see something like that being, you know, something that this team is really going to have to contend with, knowing that we have a guy who has been a difference maker on special teams when he's gotten his shot, where in the past everyone then has just tried to kick away from him and kick him out of the end zone? If you're somebody that for us, you know, we look at a guy like Kane that that can be a difference maker. Do you think this is really going to affect him? Um, I think it. I think it may, um, because there's always going to be strategy. You know, there's going to yeah. be times where, especially when we have a we have a staff that's uh, that is about analytics and. Um, you know, analytics can change every week depending on who the who the kickoff specialist is for the opposing team. But you know, there might be some weeks where they absolutely tell Kane, like, "Look, man, uh, don't even worry about taking it out. We're just gonna we're just yeah. gonna play the odds and just take a kneel down, fair catch it. We'll take the ball in the twenty-five. But there might be other kickers that that don't do a great job of driving the ball through the end zone, or they they aren't very consistent with the the sky kicks in the corner and. That's what we saw a lot of teams do in the in the last couple of years with the with the new rules is like okay, let's sky kick it. Let's not even, let's not punch it through the the back of the end, end zone. Let's sky kick it, force them to return it, knowing that with extra hang time, our our coverage teams can get down there and we can pin them back a little bit. Um, you know, if you if you're a team that can't do that, you you're a player and a kicker that can't do that, then. You know, you still have. I think I think Kane will still have some opportunities. It just won't be as much. Yeah, it kind of makes me think about if teams will start going with the squib kick, right? Like that's 
it's hard. You, you can't fair catch a squib kick, but if you place it in a in a good spot, like it, it's still returnable and it's advantageous for either your kickoff team or your kick return team, depends on how well prepared you are. Do, do you see the the squib kick kind of making a, a I guess a, a resurgence in the game of football now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're always gonna we're gonna take this opportunity, all these uh, special teams coordinators, and figure out ways that all right, we don't want to put our defense automatically on the on the 25 to defend so what's the way that we can pin a team back behind the 15 or the 10 yard line and if if using the ball in the air is uh is going to be advantageous for the return team well if your kicker is good enough to find a spot that obviously you that it wasn't it doesn't get squibbed and take a weird bounce and go out of bounds then you really get penalized but if you can find a spot uh in the middle part of between the hashes to squib that ball and, and get it down there to where you, you've got time for your coverage team to get down there and then it limits the return. I think that's absolutely a weapon they should be using. And I, and I kind of hope to see it. I think that's going to lead to a lot more chaos. Um, it's going to be a lot more, a lot more of the returners having a hard time picking up these squibs because you see it all the time. Like a, a squib happens in a game and it's like, yeah. it's like, these guys can't pick up this hot potato, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm, yeah, I think that's a, that's an option that will be used, and and hopefully we see a lot more of it. Uh, ben, I, I know we're talking owners' meetings right now, but let's I, I, we got to switch to just the the obvious elephant in the room: this Vikings defense. Uh, my initial thought process is understanding that you know Zadarius isn't back, but we do blitz a lot. That kind of mitigates having that elite pass rusher because it still puts pressure on the defense. But when you look at this Vikings defense as a whole, where do you want to see the improvements start? Well, I've long said that I, I, I just think that we have to be rock stars against the run. Mm. And that to me has been our, our biggest thing. And, you know, maybe there might be some games where statistically it's like, oh, we did a good job holding them under 100 yards or just limited right around 100 yards. But I think that you have to look at the the effectiveness of the runs and kind of when the runs happened and and where it sort of broke your back as a defense. And I just think that overall, we weren't consistent in the area. We need to be great at something. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, a lot of defenses, you know, at the end of the season can hang their hat. If you're a top 10, top 15 defense, you can hang your hat on at least one area where you're like, you know what, we are elite at this area. Like we are, we are superb at pass rushing. We are superb in the run game. In the last three years, you couldn't say one good thing about this defense that says, "Well, they are they are excellent at that." You know, if you're going to beat them, well, good luck beating them in this area. You're going to have to find other ways. And you know, when you're just kind of poor, a lot of things. I mean, you you can't get a handle on it. You're constantly playing on your heels. You can't be the aggressor. And so I think to use this Brian Flores disguise package, this blitz package, it's a lot more effective when you're, you're facing long yardage situations. So stop the run, force second and third and long, and then we can use everything that we think Brian Flores is. Who do you think is a guy that is going to benefit the most from this kind of revamped Brian Flores defense, given what you just talked about? I think, you know, that's something I've been raising my hand um, ever since we lost Delvin Tomlinson, feeling like, he's going to be a big loss and somebody really needs to step up to, to kind of fill those shoes to help, you know, with the trenches. Is there anyone else here, you know, defensively you think that really needs to step up to cement that so that we can see the best benefits from this Brian Flores defense? Well, 
first, you know, I think, you know, we talk about a guy like Harrison Smith. He's going to be the catalyst. He'll be the trigger man for this defense um, like we've seen in the past. I'm not saying it's going to be beneficial for him when it comes to numbers because I think he's going to be the one that manipulates what happens um, offensively. So he might not be the one getting the interceptions or whatever, but he might be the one that, that causes everything and causes all the chaos. Of course, you got to think about the guys up front. You know, they may, I think we're going to see a lot more free rushers. You're going to see, you know, free quarterback hits, some free sacks just because of miscounts and miscommunication on the offensive line. But I really think the guys in the middle part of the defense are going to have the biggest jump from last year when it comes to statistics. I think if Murphy ends up playing that, that nickel spot, whoever plays that nickel spot, I think it's going to be a big year for that person. I think it's going to be a big year for the linebackers getting, getting tip balls, free interceptions, things of that nature, free sacks. Um, because a lot of times, and you guys have seen it, when a, when a quarterback feels pressured and threatened, you know, they're going to throw hot. They're yeah. going to throw to, the, to where they think that they can get the ball off the easiest with, without interruption. That's usually a check down or that's a tight end or something right in that five to eight yards where they can get the ball off quick when they see blitz. And if we disguise well enough, and we can get guys dropping in the right zones at the right time, I think you're going to see uh, a lot more linebackers with hands on the ball and, and hopefully our, our nickel cornerback as well. Oh, my gosh, that will be great. Ben, over this past weekend, uh, Pro Football Focus put out an interesting tweet. They added a legend to every current NFC North team that they believe could could help the Vikings right now, and they put Dante Culpepper as the one for the Vikings. I'm going to switch it out and go defense with you. If you could add any legend to this current Vikings team, for the defenses out of the ball, who would it be and why? John Randall, hands down. I mean, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and I would even say John Randall from offense and defense. I mean, I know Pro Football Focus okay. is going to say Dante Culpepper. Um, you know, for whatever reasons, I didn't. I didn't necessarily read the article. I guess I saw the tweet, but I yeah. didn't read why. But I, I again, going back to this defense, this defense needs an intimidator. Mm-hmm. Like they need somebody that that can walk the walk and talk the talk, and and. John Randall's one of those guys from the time that he played and now as we added up historically against all the other, you know, all the other Hall of Famers, like he's at the 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 tippy top of the spear. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not just a Hall of Famer. He's like one of the top 100 players to ever play the game of football ever, regardless of position. So to me, I think that he would make a difference, a huge difference, not only in the locker room, but you know, every offensive lineman in the NFC North would be shaking in their boots um, when they get John Randall lined up in front of them talking about, you know, <laughs> talking about their, their mamas and how they're going to come after him, how they're going to embarrass he's gonna embarrass him on national TV. And, you know, he's just barking and cheering and hollering the whole game and, and you know, <laughs> hand slapping you and running past you. I mean, the, the guy was a monster. And I'd love to see him. I think, he could, I think he could be one of the generational players that could compete right now. Yeah, two things for me. I wrote down two names initially, which was John Randall or Kevin Williams, just to help with that defensive line. But the thing about John, I was just thinking as you were saying that, John did all of that either with a phone book yeah. or a PR guide. <laughs> now imagine John Randall with the internet being able to do some digging on people. There'd be some incredible <laughs> stuff that would come out. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. I mean, it's like, 
He's just gonna be overflowing with information. <laughs> he'd be uh, he'd be pulling out like Instagram from someone's college back in oh the day gosh. and just going, "Really, you wore that shirt and stuff like that." I mean, I think John Randall would be incredible. And and I really did think about it. Going, you know, everyone talks about Purple People Eaters and they were amazing, but John's physicality as well as kind of the mental toughness that he had is what separated him. And that's why I felt like either he or somebody that was a leader like Kevin Williams defensively, you know, line-wise would be just a huge help on this yeah. defense. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, not only just from his, his physical stature and what he can do with production, but like I said, I think I think there's, you know, the intimidation has been lost from this game. And there are a few guys that still command that. And, uh, and you know, certainly uh, I don't – I just think it's fewer and far between when we have these players that, that teams just absolutely fear. And um, Aaron Donald's probably one of them on the defensive front that you can name. And I, I can't really think of anybody else that you'd be like, boy, I, I wouldn't want to see that guy every every single week. And John Randall would do that for us. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I, w- I want to transition to legends, um, starting with, with one. We'll end it with Bud. But I want to talk about Bob Hagan, um, just recently retired. Um, I, I know you work with him. He had a 32-year career here with his Minnesota Vikings team. Just just what were your just initial impressions or just any stories that you have on Bob Hagan? Well, Bob, um, you know, when I was a player, you always felt like you always felt like Bob, you know, wasn't wasn't working for like management or the upper manager or the owners or anything like that. Like you really felt like Bob was like he's he's one of the guys, you know, he was gonna protect you. He and his staff were gonna protect you as a player. Um you trusted him, you could you could talk to him like a man and trust that information was going to stay just between, you know, yourselves, you know, immediately there is this, this just trust factor. Um, and I think that's huge. I mean, I think that's really, it's a really hard thing to get in this business, especially now when, you know, leaked information happens everywhere. It's become a little bit, a little bit of a, a celebrity game with the, with professional sports where people just want dirt. People want information. And, um, they're going to coerce people and try to get information out of people. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know who to trust in any building. And um, he was a guy that you can trust, you know, when I got done playing, you know, there were multiple times where I think he had to, he had to talk to people within the building, you know, when it came to me being a broadcaster now and, you know, whether or not they could trust me and, you know, he went to bat for me a lot, you know, and I own, I own that because I don't think that I would be in this position right now um, without him, you know, going to bat for me and saying like, no guys, like he's, he's not going to be, you know, saying X, Y, and Z that you think, you know, he's, he's going to be, he's just going to say the right things and all this other stuff. And so, um, you know, for that, I'm like forever grateful. He's, he's been a great friend and, um, a guy that, uh, I've always trusted ever since I got here in 2006. He's also a guy that has a hell of a lot of recommendations for pizzas places for, for stuff. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, if you need, if you need <laughs> restaurants and concert information, you know, he's, he's got you doubted. And, and the great thing about it too, is, you know, when I was doing, um, you know, some more college football stuff or I'm doing something else that's not Vikings related, I'm not, I'm not lying to this. I'm not putting hot sauce on this. Everybody asks, How's Hagen and how's the staff? That's awesome. Like everybody, everybody knows Bob Hagen. Like he, he, he truly was an institution in the NFL. Speaking of institutions, you know, this past weekend at the U.S. Bank Stadium, there was a celebration of Bud Grant's life, and and there was a really well done program. They had you know three to four thousand people that actually were there, and and I think between um, Bud Grant's family, friends, former players, everyone was just kind of gushing of what he meant 
to not only uh, the family, but the organization and the state. And, um, you know, he's just a guy that's always been larger than life ever since growing up in the state of Minnesota here. And I'm sure for you playing and just seeing him around the building, um, you know, Bud is one of those guys that's always been an institution. Do you have anything that really stands out as far as what Bud Grant meant to you or at least to this organization while you were here? Well, obviously, I didn't didn't play with him, didn't play with him, didn't have any experience one on one. But the one thing that that everybody always told me was, you know, when he was a coach, he was a tremendous leader in the way that he allowed his coaches to coach. He allowed the players to play and he, he had this level of expectation that every single player knew that they had to live up to. And they felt so disappointed if they did not meet that expectation. And I know that can be done in a variety of different ways, but they said, you know, the way that he did it, you know, in, in this sort of stoic nature, you know, I think some people, come in with this megaphone of a personality and they say, you got to, you know, I'm demanding respect. Like you have to respect me because of the nature of the position that that person's in. But everything that I heard about Bud was, you know, he wasn't going to talk about, you know, how good of a coach he thought he was. He just came in with this, this, this inner confidence of this is who I am. This is how I coach. And these are my expectations. And if you don't uphold those, then we're going to find somebody else. And I think that that just sort of that nuts and bolts mentality and expectation um, is what made him and the teams that he commanded so successful. They knew the job that they had to do, and they knew exactly how they're going to go about it to do it. And um, you know, I think there's a there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I think in some ways we you know we could go back to that where it's just less about the pomp and circumstance and just get the job done. Yeah. yeah two things that really stood out for me at the event was, um, you know, the, how many of the former coaches like Paul Wigan or players or everyone just kind of said, like you just talked about, he didn't, he wasn't a yeller. He wasn't a screamer. He was just, he'd give you a look or just calmly talk to you and tell you what he wanted. If he got it done, great. And if he didn't, you knew it was going to be a problem. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the stories that they talked about too was they said, um, you know, Pete Carroll was a secondary coach and they were out there at training camp and they went out to to do practice and Pete just comes up to him and is like, hey coach, you know, what's the plan? Like, you know, there wasn't any kind of notes or a script or anything like that. And Bud just looked at him and he said, hey, Pete, you know, why did I hire you? And he's like, you know, I hired you to coach secondary, so go coach secondary. He let everyone kind of figure out their methodology and their ability to be able to coach at the best level that they could. And I'm sure it wasn't it was it wasn't just always go out there and just coach. But it was something where there were those moments where I think for a lot of those coaches that worked for him, that they found a little bit more confidence in being a coach, that they could be a leader that he wasn't going to just jump on you immediately if you weren't doing things right. It was more of a let you play out, but then we can talk about, you know, what your methodology is if he didn't agree with it. It just, it felt like there were expectations there and you didn't want to uh, disappoint dad, you know, in those kind of moments. And so it just felt like as a coach, there's leadership and then there's coaching and it felt like he had both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of, you know, we, we get sometimes caught up in the, in the, in the wording, the definitions and, and, um, Oh, what's the right word I'm thinking about, but the semantics of the situation that, you know, coach is just teacher, you know, and, and and I can just, I can just picture Bud in that situation you're talking about with Pete Carroll and be like, go teach, go be a teacher. Like, 
just take your guys and go work on the things you need to work on. You know, that's that's it. Like, just go teach your guys up. And as I said at the event, you know, it seemed to have worked out for Pete at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it, Ben. Appreciate you, my man. Yeah, appreciate you guys too, man. Always, uh, always love talking to you guys and talking ball and all that stuff. And it's funny that I was just mentioned the other day on the radio and I'm like, I know that we're, we're going to enjoy the off season and the season's going to be upon us pretty yeah. quickly. But I, there was like a, a moment there where like, I kind of wish that training camp was starting. Like I miss, right. I miss football already. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. Like I think just being at TCO and not seeing you or Pete or Paul, like it's like, man, like it, it really is off season. And you start to get the, the butterflies once the players start to get back. And it's like, okay, like now we finally get to start talking football. So that's, that's why I'm so happy to have you on, just just to get the juices flowing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Love it, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks dude. Man. Have a great day. Just amazing words that Ben Lieber shared about Bud Grantson. Uh, Jay, you were you were at the celebration of life for Bud Grant at U.S. Bank Stadium, and I, I know you tweeted out a little bit about it. You just shared some of your your thoughts and just you know kind words that that came from that ceremony. But what what, are, what were some other things that stood out to you? Just just being there and feeling the energy of. Bud Grant's presence. I think part of it for me is I. this was one of those moments when they announced that they were going to do it. I wanted to be there whether I was helping or not, um, given kind of what he's meant to the state and as a, a fan of the team and just having seen him around all those years. The thing that I would probably characterize that was the theme of the whole thing was authenticity. Mm. He's a guy that, you know, they were talking about Uh, Saturdays before games and everyone's stressing out. You're thinking a coach is going to be sitting in his office trying to figure out more game plans. Nine times out of ten, he's sitting in a duck blind or on a lake (laughs) fishing somewhere trying to clear his head and, you know, with the attitude of, listen, if if we haven't put in the work and everyone knows what's going on by now, like we're in trouble. So he was a guy that had outside interests. He tried to have his priorities in order. He was not a guy that that everyone is cited as being constantly here until, you know, wee hours in the morning and then getting here, you know, sleeping on his couch or something. It was more of a put your work in, go home, spend time with your friends and family, have a priority to life and find outside things that you're interested in doing. And you really saw it as, you know, even the, the amount of people that they had on the dais, you had a group of people that were the local sports reporters, including Chad Hartman talking about Sid and Bud's relationship, which was just incredible. Um, you also had a group of players that were there with Chuck Foreman, Stu Voigt, Scott Studwell, and and Carl Eller, and just that group talking about what it meant to to work with him and, and to kind of that respect factor of it. You had video messages coming in from Fran Tarkington, Ahmad Rashad, Jim Marshall, again, guys that all felt important enough to take their time to do that and wanted to be there and just had to to give their take on it. And then outside of that, you had the family with Mike Grant being the representative. You had Senator Amy Klobuchar, who had known him since she was a little girl with her mm-hmm. dad being a local sports reporter, told some incredible stories between the two of them as well. And even the U.S. Senate uh, was able to basically create a decree that everyone had voted on recognizing Bud Grants for his contributions, not only as a you know NFL coach kind of a thing, but as, a, as an American. And so for someone like Bud, who crossed all platforms, he played in the NBA, played in the NFL, Insane. played in Insane. the CFL, coached in the NFL, coached in the CFL to a bunch of great cups. Like he was kind of the prototypical definition of what it meant to, you know, be a winner and to kind of have your priorities straight on that kind of stuff. And it was just an amazing uh, 
amazing program and you can definitely go online and find that stuff vikings.com and i know there's going to be some broadcasts as well um, coming through fox 9 and so just if you weren't able to catch it as it happened on sunday at noon please 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 go back and watch that because there's some incredible stories and i think they did a really great job of creating a program that really just kind of showed who this man was and why he was important to so many people that's well said. And um, we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast with this. Um, you, you sent me a funny tweet earlier this week um, talking about a guy in Josh Johnson. Yes. Who is getting ready to play for his 24th different team. Like, granted, he's played for a few of those teams more than once. But right now, he just got signed by the Baltimore Ravens. And this is his third stint with the Baltimore Ravens. And Hopefully he didn't sell his apartment. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he's the true definition of a journeyman. Oh, for sure. But but I just remember telling you that story of, um, and, you know, th- it was the same year, 2018, when Alex Smith broke his leg. Washington Commanders went through four different quarterbacks, and Josh Johnson was in the locker room with E.J. Manuel, uh, Mark Sanchez, uh, J- not Jacoby Brissett, J.T. Barrett. There were so many college just phenoms in that one locker room. Yeah. And Josh Johnson actually got the call. And he won a game for the, for the Commanders that year, but – just seeing how his career has evolved, Jay, I don't think we'll ever see anything else like it. It's 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 incredibly impressive to me because if you think about the average lifespan of a football player period in the NFL, you're looking at kind of that three and a half to four year range is yeah. the typical NFL experience, which is incredible to think about. For a guy like this to be able to go to different organizations and then have multiple stints at those organizations, and not only was it NFL, but he was in the UFL, the AAF, and the XFL. Like This guy has done whatever it's taken to find his place and stuck around as long as he has. I mean, it's, it's undeniable the fact that this guy has talent. This guy knows what he's talking about. The best part to me is that you look at a team like the 49ers who had brought him in four different times. You have the Ravens three different times. Um, there's just there's a whole host of teams here within this list, and you look at a guy like that, and, and um, you think about even a, a couple weeks ago there was the guy for the Pittsburgh Pirates who had been in the minor leagues for 11 seasons, and he finally got the call up. You look at a guy like this after after seeing Field Yates tweet out his list of teams that he's played for, and you just look at it and say this is a guy who is doing everything he can to try to you know live his dream and to keep doing that and. Um, you know, if he wants to, I'm sure after all of this experience in all these different places, he could definitely find a way for coaching too when he's done if he wanted to. Insane. But to me, the best part about it is it just shows this guy's willing willingness and determination to, you know, push everything forward, push all his chips in and say, no, 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 this is what it is. And if this is what it's going to mean for me to keep living this dream and keep keep experiencing it this way. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. So kudos to Josh Johnson for all of his his efforts over all the years with all of these different teams. <laughs> 15 years playing football for 24 different teams. Good golly. Hey, I mean, w- whatever works. But at the same time, he understands how to make a locker room better. And I think that that goes into uh, signing a guy in Josh Johnson. And speaking of signing a guy, we'll end it here. The Vikings just signed wide receiver from the D.C. Defenders, Lucky Jackson. Of course, we know the D.C. defenders were in the XFL championship against the, the Renegades in which they lost uh, a few weeks ago. But it's, it's very interesting because in order to sign Lucky Jackson, the Vikings get rid of their 2020 seventh round draft pick, Mr. Kenny Willekes from Michigan State. So um, we know this Vikings team wants to throw the ball. And why not get another wide receiver, someone who is literally just got done playing football a couple of weeks ago. So he he's already in football condition and he gets an opportunity 
uh, to come in to come in and compete with some guys that are willingly ready uh, to make that 53-man roster this year. Yeah, it was really interesting to me. I've I've been curious to see how many guys from the XFL or these other leagues are going to get a shot. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, Lucky is getting one here with us is pretty good. Um, One of the things that was interesting when I was looking through all of his different teams, started at Western Kentucky for school and then went to the TSL Blues, Edmonton Elks in the CFL, and then has been here with the uh, D.C. Defenders. Um, Had 10 games, 36 receptions, 572 yards, and five touchdowns. So basically scored a, a, you know, half a touchdown per game in their 10-game season. And one of the things that was that's great about it to me is you just see a guy who has been grinding and trying to do it the right way, getting a shot here at the NFL again, kind of like Josh, you know, doing what he can to to get a chance in the NFL. I am curious to see since we've had how many discussions about the wide receiver room. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the special team side of it as well, um, I'm I'm really curious to see what kind of a run he gets here with us. Yeah, and and try out. But like you said, you know, he's already in football shape. He's already been in go mode. And I think a guy like him, if he finally gets his crack here with the NFL, is going to do everything he can to stick on a roster. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the competition for a training camp. I know we got a few more weeks of OTAs and then mandatory mini camp in June. But football is heating up, Jay. I'm excited just to be able to be a part of it again. Like Ben said, there was a little bit of a lull as far as sure. like, you know, there's no football going on. You're trying to I figure out, it's like, man, like, is it just me or do I miss the actual game? So the fact that we're getting closer and closer, schedule release just came out. We just got done with the NFL draft, and now uh, NFL owners meetings are wrapping up. This is going to be an exciting football season, and I'm sure it's going to be a learning experience for all of us that that either that's involved with the team or in some shape or capacity. For me, the best part is all of the speculation season is essentially over. You're now at OTAs and minicamp like you just talked about, and then you get that little bit of a lull where the next thing is training camp. Yeah. Everyone keeps citing that, you know, time seems like it just accelerates quicker and quicker and quicker. We are at that point in the season where you, it can't come fast enough, but yeah. then it comes too fast at times. So that's the thing for me is, is this is the time of year that you really get excited knowing that how many people are getting their shot in the NFL. And as we've seen even today, the idea that this roster is not complete, there's still going to be moves and stuff that are going to happen. So make sure to stick around, vikings.com, social media, the podcast, anywhere else yeah. for all the latest information. And just uh, keep your ears, ears to everything that's happening because this is going to be a very, very fun offseason and season. Stay tuned, guys. Vikings.com, Vikings social media. And we'll wrap the show with that. For Jay Nelson, Mr. Ben Lieber, who was our special guest for today, my name is Gabe Henderson. We'll see you guys next week on the Minnesota Vikings podcast.